Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking with Alt Form, who I'm going to call Cat, And we're talking today about how an artistic practice can evolve as you shift away from yourself. Now, what I mean, obviously, by that will be elucidated by Cat during this interview. Um, but we also talk about the essence of experience and of place and of the self as an artist. Uh, and Cat comes across here as an overwhelmingly good and humble person. You never, you never once get a sense that that maybe you'd, you'd expect um, that the whole alt form moniker is contrived or ironic or alienating in its intent. It it never feels like that. It feels actually it feels like an honest extension um, of how Cat feels about art and of her own practice and of the the essence of experience, which which we're going to get into right after this. Um, just some regular housekeeping. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and about how we can support you. Now, on to the show. Form's desk in Studio One is covered in bubble wrap and uninflated balloons, books and notebooks. There's tinned fruit, an unopened packet of ramen, several jackets. On the wall, chalk on the VJs detailing vague plans for curation and experiences and engagements with people and communities. Three courses and three speakers is chalked up next to a picture of two cats playing with balloons, a screenshot of a Google image search for helium. As I write this, Altform is learning to make scones. She told me that she could have learned online, taken a recipe or a YouTube video and run with it, but she didn't. She invited a friend over to House Conspiracy, and he's teaching her how to cook them. It's better, she tells me. It's better to share the experience. I walk past her studio, and on the door it says, you are allowed to make bad art. Now, I give you alt form. I think coming out of high school, everyone's like, has this image of uni that it's really not fun and really horrible. And that's what I was taught too. So I was kind of like, I don't want to be miserable for three years. I did that for five years I know, and I'm like, for what? To just maybe be happy at the end? Because we just aren't taught to get it, that it's actually the experience of doing it can be really fun. And that's why you go, you don't go for the end product, but we're just not taught that. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if you think this, but do you feel like there's almost like this cultural shift going on at the moment where there's less and less of a focus on uni as an experience and more in terms of like jobs and outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, and something that comes out of it where it's, but not a focus on the present experience of it it's just get to the end and there is like that cultural shift of young people who just like get to the end and then the next thing and then get to the end of that but it's like what it's actually a really really good experience if you're there and you're just seeing the experience no matter like what it is or how it goes the value of the actual experience instead of any end product because the end product isn't actually going to get you anything <laughs> basically. Yeah. Especially, like, especially in like a creative, yeah. a creative degree. Um, I mean, a creative degree is hugely helpful in terms of, I think being your practice, but I mean, these days, most degrees aren't guaranteed to lend you anything. No, they're not. 
everyone's overqualified now. So, so when you when you took um, university and you took it as an experience, what did what did taking university and taking sort of the tertiary experience as an experience look like for you? And what did you take from it? Um, it was really interesting. I first when I first arrived in Brisbane because um, I was studying photography, and so I was in a new city. And because I was studying photography, I was given like brand new eyes and taught the value of perspective. So I got to see this brand new city with these brand new eyes and fall in love with all the light and all the like um, the environment. And it was all magic and quite spiritual yeah. <laughs> and fun. And then that kind of burns off. And After what period of time does that did that burn off for you? Um just after that first year, I think, around about the after one year of that, because mm-hmm. then you're not, then you've lived in a certain place for a certain time. You've gotten your routines in, you're going down the same street every day, and it's not like magic anymore. Um, but actually, now this year, uh, and during my residency here, I've been doing something where I go from the art school to here and I walk that and I see if I can go down a different route every single time and see if I can walk down a new street every day to try and um, get that experience of that new or that traveling thing because um, in Brisbane is so massive but we get so bored so quick yeah because we're just doing the same thing going the same way every single day but if we just do a little thing different every day, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's true because it's such a dispersed city. Often, despite, despite like you said, it, its size, you end up spending a lot of time sort of traveling from your home into town. Yeah, and then back basically. Out. Yeah. So experimenting, you've been experimenting with pathways there and sort of trying to, is it about, is it about the experience of trying to rediscover that experience of Brisbane or is it, is it about teaching yourself to sort of see with new eyes? I think it's both of them. And it's also that trying to find, to go back to that first year type magical experience. And How long ago was that? Traveling. Um, I'm in third year now. Cool. So it wasn't that long ago, but I'm easily bored like yeah. quite quickly. <laughs> um, and I just came back from exchange in Canada and every day there, I'd just walk and try and find a new street as well. Um, and that was super fun. And then I came back here and I was so bored. I was just so extremely bored. But then when I started the residency, I was kind of like, this is why I was bored. I wasn't spending enough time in West End. Like West yeah. End is so interesting. <laughs> and I think it's the such a good place to have the space because um, it's such a good environment. And I remember... Um, actually the other night I decided to catch the boat from South Bank to West End, which seems so ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. And then just walk that way. Cause then it, that was just another way I could go. Um, and getting dropped in West End, never having taken the boat, never having even gone that way on the boat. Um, and then getting here and I had my phone so I could look up on maps, but I'm like, I'm just going to find it. 
I'm just going to see if I can find it. And I was lost for about two hours. It's a surprisingly long walk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just, I think I was going in circles a bit. Yeah. But what happened was, because I used to spend so much time here in first year because uh, the hold was open, which mm-hmm. was my favorite. That was the one that was above Art Shed, right? Yeah. That was um, my favorite art space. And so I was there a lot in first year. And so walking around that other night, for two hours, I just kept having these like flashbacks of being in West End after a whole show, just being a bit, you know, drunk and wandering and all these different experiences came back. Of And because I was new to here, I couldn't tell you where that happened or anything. But this experience of trying to go down all these new streets in West End, I've walked past places where I'm like, I have a memory there. We stopped there. But back then, I didn't know where the fuck I was. Right. And so <laughs> so, so you're, you're almost matching experiences rather than place names or identifiers. Yeah. Which I guess is a nice transition to your practice, which is around the experience and experiential art. And I guess maybe we should begin by... Um, having you define what that is and what that looks like, (laughs) which I know is like such a big ask. So broad. (laughs) So broad. Um, I think, well, I don't like to think about it too much because it kind of freaks me out. And I'm I'm in my art making, I either start with thinking and then think and think and pretty much never do anything if I come from that angle or I just do, which – like the walking was just, I just start walking. You just have to do something and it's all intuitive and you're thinking without that conscious worry because I think if you start overthinking things, that's where the fear is and that'll stop you from kind of. And also I think that the idea of things and the fantasy is the epitome of anything. (laughs) Right. So I don't even, I don't want to kill it by trying to make something out of a thought. That's kind of like (laughs) psychoanalytic there. What do you mean by the uh, sort of the fantasy is the epitome? Um, Well, like to me, nothing is better than the fantasy. So I don't want to ruin it by um, turning it into anything tangible and killing it. (laughs) Like basically... (laughs) Um, for example, when I uh, had my first show, I wrote just this kind of fantastical thing. I asked myself, if you do anything, what would you do? And I just wrote out this experience in first person um, as to like what I would want to experience in an art show. And then when I actually was successful with the proposal, I was kind of like, oh, shit. Like, I have to actually do it. Which show was that? Um, I had a show with Clutch. Yes, that was, yeah, Yeah. I saw that one. That was out the back of Gab Award office. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you gave me the idea, actually, to have it there. I I did, I did, that's right, yes. Yeah, because we were looking for a space, then I just was asking anyone. So I met you and was like, hi. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's where we met. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. yeah, well, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good space to have. That was a so good thank show. You, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was interesting. Um, 
because it wasn't, it was so exhausting and it was the first time I'd had to, I started with this fantasy and turned it really tangibly into an actual thing and it's so much hard work that by the time it actually was tangible, I didn't enjoy any of it. Yeah. Because you're just so exhausted, you can't feel anything. And I don't want that to happen again. <laughs> That's why I, after that I was like, okay, I'm done for a little bit. Like I'm sure I'll, I'll start writing proposals again, but, you know, I don't really want to do this. Is, is that because you're sort of looking to experiment now, I guess, like partially under the alt form name, which we'll get to, are you looking now to sort of experiment in, in ways of putting out sort of good and valuable art while avoiding that sort of loathing of your own work that comes from sort of spending too much time and energy on it? Yeah. Um, I don't know how to answer that. Sorry, I realised that was a very sort of long-winded <laughs> question. But essentially, are you... One, is it possible to avoid avoid that feeling? Have you spoken to many other like artists about whether, how they, or if they're even able to sort of continue to enjoy their work? I guess maybe that's the first question. Um, I think the best part of making work is the making part. And then it's just kind of a responsibility to have to show it yeah in a way um I don't like showing work anymore but I think um what worked out in that numbing kind of exhaustion was that I didn't feel good but I also didn't feel any kind of fear of uh any fear or like embarrassment about it right no fear of criticism yeah because and I just making work and showing work is so vulnerable and so scary and everyone I think you know everyone feels like that oh, <laughs> I mean, it's part of you and you're just putting that on display a piece of like your insides so and people can just kind of poke at it and like um and that's scary I think that's why we numb ourselves <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah, I agree. I think the the closer, especially the closer you are, and you know, the more maybe that's maybe that's why you know you you partially become numb after you spend that much time on a work, is that you have no other choice. Yeah, and it's like a coping mechanism of. Yeah, I think it it is like that, but also, the hard work will just wear you down. Yeah, <laughs> like wear down all of all of the edges and then you're just a blob of like nothing <laughs> just moving through space <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, so, you're you're having you're having like the reverse of an out-of-body experience you're only your body yeah yeah it's interesting um but now the only way i can make work is to just start on the opposite end of the thinking and just make don't think about it um just make something like the first day here um I think a couple of days before it someone had given me given me a few balloons and I'd just blown up one and I was like I'm gonna bring that to dinner 
like for that first dinner and I just so I just happened to be carrying a balloon with me and then um after dinner I was kind of like it's the first day I want to make something what do I have to work with this one balloon and like my phone camera I guess and so I just made a video of me meditating on like keeping this balloon up and um that turned into I'm gonna do this every day just make a video of that um and so I'm just doing it and I'm not overthinking it. And then I was getting really good ideas from that and thinking about like attachment to objects and um, rituals. Um, but I just had to start with what I had and just do it. Right. If I think, I think as soon as I see a picture really clearly and want it, that's when I'm kind of like, it's dead now. Or like it's fantastic, but I can't do it now because if I see it clearly, and I that does come into like it's definitely related to obviously a fear of failure because not being able to live up to the fantasy. Yeah, and so just being like, all right, but I could also just if I start from the other side and am doing, I can make so much more that way. Yeah, as opposed to being stuck in this other way. So I've just found that working intuitively works better mm-hmm. for me. So that's just how I do it now instead of writing these kind of fantasies or... These long-winding first-person proposals yeah. or ideas. Yeah, because and- I really enjoy doing that. Like I really love to do that, but I don't necessarily want to land the show. <laughs> like, sure. So maybe they could be works in themselves. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've thought about that in all, like maybe theoretical exhibitions and theoretical experiences. Um, and I like the idea of putting people in experiences and then having them uh, write down in first person what they experienced. I like kind of that idea because it's that's a picture and that's like their picture and how that's different from what I thought about before it happened or what I picture and then make that happen and then put some, you know, and then yeah. make, like, 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 like having a sort of feedback loop with the audience yeah. that then recurs and creates more work. And yeah. Um, Cause you can layer as much as you want there, right? You could, you know, have someone write a response to an exhibition, then exhibit that and have people draw it and then just see how yeah. many frames of reference like, away yeah, you yeah, can yeah. get. Like telephone the game when you're writing. Yeah, yeah like telephone or Chinese whispers or yeah. whatever. Is that racist now? I don't know. I was in Canada and they're like, you know, telephone. I'm like, oh yeah, Chinese whispers. And they're like, well, that's racist, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, but. I don't, oh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. So that's why I just say telephone. <laughs> telephone might be safer. Maybe I'll bleep that out. <laughs> yeah, no. Can I'm we like, say bleep? Are we cutting this out? <laughs> um. And so now, um, now that you're sort of playing in in, in these emergent processes, um. I think maybe while we're talking about your residency, um, I, I want to ask you, like, what, what are you going to be doing for, for the showcase, for the, for the final showing on next week? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to be doing a performance in the bathroom mm-hmm. because I thought it's a really unique 
unique thing that we're in a house and we've been hanging out in the house. Um, and while I've been in this space, I very much respond to sight in everything I do. And I was thinking about what are the strengths of and what can you not do kind of anywhere else. So being able to have access to like a shower yep. and hanging out, like spending time in the shower um, as opposed to just the traditional like uh, white walled mm-hmm. studio space and how can I incorporate that into the performance and that as the showcase type of thing um, and where are the boundaries between, all right, we're in a house and this is the studios where the art is and then this is the kitchen and this is the bathroom, but maybe blurring that line. Totally. There is, there is art. And I was thinking, should I put something in the freezer? <laughs> or like, you know, like messing with those um, boundaries and having people put, like, is this, is this the work? <laughs> like- <laughs> no rules, no rules. I don't know if you know uh, Tess Mahonishan, um, but I think she's currently doing her PhD or her honours at Griffith, at QCA. And she, she did a similar thing. She built these sort of uh, concrete barriers into the house and like into the kitchen. But nice. the, the thing about them was they were up for about two or three weeks <laughs> in the kitchen. And so every day was just a struggle, <laughs> but it was part of the work and it was really, really cool and really, really memorable. Um, so yeah, I really like that. I like that idea of sort of being site specific to the place and yeah there are no rules mm, fuck with the freezer I'm, <laughs> I'm not your mum. <laughs> yeah i thought i have to use that bathroom space because otherwise mm. it's just gonna be kind of closed off or, yeah but i do like the idea of having people come through and then being oh oh this is where it's happening <laughs> yeah yeah like if someone goes to wash their hands after using yeah. the toilet or whatever yeah i hope they do wash their hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and I'm going to put, um, Perspex in there and have the steam of the shower create things and mm-hmm. things are going to happen. So that'll be exciting. And then outside on the, the screen, I'm going to have a screening of 19 artists from, from in Brisbane, as well as some people, some filmmakers I know in Canada Um, and with that, with curating anything into anything, it's kind of the thinking. It's very much from the thinking side. So that's why I hesitate all the time because that's not the way I work. And so I was kind of concerned, like, do I need a thematic thread in everything or... Should I just start from the doing and just do things? Just do them and see what happens. Yeah, just put two things next to each other. If they juxtapose, if they work, whatever. And then that starts the conversation. Um, So I am going, I'm not worrying about it because I will just build an anxiety about like worrying about things. But what I'm more concerned with or interested in is getting those works and ex- having them exposed to an audience and having the people who have made them and their uh, friends and stuff come into the space and have conversations and then the conversations are what I'm more concerned with. Yeah, cool. So just bringing people in to 
speak. Looking to record those yeah. those speakings? Um, or just take them in so. yourself? Yeah, because I do really like the idea of the conversation as work. Yeah, we've got an artist coming in in a few rounds' time who's doing exactly that conversation as work. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then, I mean, that in itself ties in a lot with but how does the how does this work speak to this work but the conversation does that yeah, yeah because people go oh why was why, why do you think that was there that was there it's like well I think it worked like the, like the, the, the. yeah <laughs> yeah and I'm also getting a lot of artists who haven't kind of had opportunity to show mm-hmm. so much like they're still in undergrad um because I it's a strange thing um at the art school where a lot of people graduate and then go oh I start now (laughs) oh like oh I have to go out in the art scene now it's like why weren't you here yeah it's like you've had three years come play (laughs) people will be more forgiving of you if you haven't graduated even Mm. and but just having them be having them giving them the opportunity to show Mm. and discuss with other artists, but then also they're in those conversations too and they know the opportunities that are out there for them because I feel like a lot of people don't even go to RE shows or or anything. And I and I speak to a lot of them and they really just actually haven't been taught or haven't been shown and it's really strange that we go into art school and we're not shown what's out there. Yeah. Uh, it's the same it's the same in writing school like they just it's a it's often a side note yeah but Um, then you have no foundation yeah oh it's bad yeah it's i'm not defending it it's terrible yeah um yeah it's hard it's hard to get i mean you know like you were saying like in a way and i don't know if you've experienced this i mean i i think i used to um and i know a lot of people who do but in the same way that you feel anxiety showing your work I think a lot of people feel anxiety going to these shows because they feel anxiety around what they will say about the work and what whether their response is valid and I wonder if that's something you've heard or tapped into or if you have a comment on that yeah um that's another thing that I don't that I think we're not taught enough that we actually can't be wrong when making when having our own experiences in the face of work, you can't get it wrong. Um, and for when I was on exchange in Canada, I had such um, good experiences with going into an art gallery and then in a small group doing cold readings on works and talking about work. And even quiet people are just... If you're given them, if people are given the environment of like safety and made to feel comfortable and really shown that they can't be wrong and you don't have to be sounding a certain way or saying a certain thing, that the theory is whatever you say, like, and you just do your own reading and you you can't be wrong. Um, Is part of it about putting people on equal footing? Yeah. And it's just the conversation, like the value of the conversation because you're not talking up or down to anyone, but you're just talking across 
and having a casual conversation about work and that's how maybe um, an article or a review might start for someone or the spark might happen is in that conversation and then that's how um, writers get inspired. Um, But when I was over there, I kind of, within the first few weeks of being in that um, system, I was kind of had the realisation that I hadn't even been taught to read work properly yeah, and to write about work. And then I realised that that's really what I wanted to do because I was finally taught properly, I think. <laughs> because um, and people would have, you know, a question in that they'd say they were going to write about work and ask, Should, do I have to incorporate theory? And the answer is, and what my professor said was, whatever you write is Is the theory. theory. Yeah. Like you can just write from your own personal experience and that is super valuable. Whereas here I feel like we were always taught like back it up with some other theorist and you're just constantly reiterating. Mm -hmm. Other people's thoughts. Exactly. Which is opposite to experience. Yeah. And it, makes it's not empowering because it feels like you constantly need someone else to justify your own feelings and thoughts because your yours alone aren't valid without that other backing like do you think part of that is because of sort of particularly like Australian university obsession with getting people quote unquote ready or pushing them into postgrad where that's a necessity because that's how research is allegedly works yeah I think it it is that and but it's so bizarre it's so bizarre because yes um going into that you're gonna need you know this and this but if you don't have the passion and like you don't feel empowered to write your own thoughts that's what matters and then you do that other stuff yeah the other stuff is almost like a necessity right yeah, and you end up coming from that side first and it just means that there's little originality in in writing and it also just means that people are scared and are compromising their own thoughts and worrying about, like, am I, like you were saying, am I, like, thinking or saying the right thing or, you know, it's not backed, like, I'm not a smart person or like, you know, I'm not an academic. I'm not saying anything valid enough or, but just have the conversation and um, relax. <laughs> um, but in terms of comments in the, in the gallery space, I find them really interesting and the way people engage with work and wondering if they're doing it right. I think that's a really funny thing. And I like the idea of, um, kind of planted audience members. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked <laughs> leading, on a couple of shows. That leading we've done by that. example. Yeah. And um, how people respond and worry then they might be stepping over the wrong line or that's super funny and super interesting. And I think we need to we should play and like have a laugh a bit more and not worry too much about how we're being seen or and I like that this is in, in the house, which makes it that comfortable environment. 
because when it's the white walls and the fluorescent lights and everything, you're the performer. And so it's constantly, you know, stand up straight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You find yourself in this sort of room with rules. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I mean, that's been one of the huge advantages of having the, the domestic space has been everyone knows what a domestic space is. It's kind of chill. Yeah. So no matter sort of how high concept any work is that's shown here, there's that touchstone maybe yeah. of space. And it's not um, intimidating. You're not intimidated into um, trying to really resolve anything in here. So what I've seen from open houses is that, um, sorry, showcases is people are relaxed and that people just are able to walk in and have a conversation with the artist and it's not necessarily completely resolved work. Um, but just being able to talk to someone about your work in a comfortable space and not being kind of on a stage with Yeah, with like people. a microphone <laughs> yeah, in front of yeah. your face like you have right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like, I really think that's valuable. Because then it gets you ready if you do end up wanting to or having to ever be in front of an audience talking about your work. You've got that experience of just being able to casually speak with a stranger about what you do. So I think that this space and the setup is really valuable in the learning experience of an artist. Well, yeah, and I mean, yeah, like not to sort of talk about the project too much, but that's that's the point yeah. of this is like essentially because it's like, yeah, first opportunities. You know, most people who have undertaken a residency here haven't undertaken a residency before. Definitely most people haven't done an audio interview before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, like it's it's all the varied results, but like really for the most part, everything's been great. Like you don't, yeah, you don't need like high career, like far career artists to put on a really valuable and exciting Friday night. Um, speaking of the artist as identity, um <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, you're actually practicing here and on our website and on our socials and whatnot as Altform, um, which is an artist collective. Yes. <laughs> that you practice under. Yes. And I'd like you to tell me a little bit about that and the etymology, I guess, of that decision as well as um, what, it, what it means. What it means. <laughs> So uh, how I ended up at this point is because I was constantly wondering or had in my head this idea that I would one day change my name um, but then not being able to decide on one and then it reached a point where I decided on one and I'm like, it's like a tattoo or something. You have to want it for a year straight. <laughs> like, and I'm like, all right. And then a year passed. And I'm like, okay, I still like this name. I'm going to do it. And I um, kind of introduced myself to someone as that. And when they um, responded and called me, I immediately felt like I've lied to them. <laughs> like really <laughs> deeply like, oh, my God, <laughs> I've lied to them. Was that um, the name Altform or is it a no, different name? No, it was just a not the co- whole collective idea, but mm-hmm. um, just, a, just a, an alter ego yeah. or a different name and um, and went through so many and then was just 
kind of like I'm never going to choose, just come up with something that is so broad, that is a collective, that I can change a million times but still have the collective name that I would go under because it's kind of ridiculous to keep changing a name because you're not building a brand or anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's and it's just dangerous. It's a bit, I don't know, not smart. It's really. not, yeah, it's not good <laughs> long term. It doesn't yeah. work out. Like I did have um, shows when I was in Canada under different names, just kind of quite random names. And it was really good and I would love to do it more um, because you have people around you because I spent a lot of time in the galleries and because they don't know it's you, they'll tell the truth. Yeah. And it, that's so valuable and so interesting because people sugarcoat kind of everything to your face. And I had such an issue with wanting to separate the artist and the art with the person and kind of not wanting to sell my face as the work. Um, so that was really valuable, um, being able to get real feedback and then the interesting things around that. Um, but And then I eventually was like, just make a collective and then no matter how many times you change, you can just be in it. Yep. And you've got like a through thing. Yeah, yeah you've got the through line <laughs> for, for, for all your identities. Yeah. Um, but even I got back here and I'm like, but I'm, I, I want to change it again, the old form thing. And someone's like, no, I like it. Just keep it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I might as well settle <laughs> on something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For once in my life. <laughs> is that, is it sort of an extension of sort of what you were saying way earlier about like getting bored easy? Like yeah. the name thing. Yeah. Getting super bored and not wanting to get too attached to anything and not being able to get that attached to a name or but then you kind of step back and you're like it doesn't matter just make work and I think it is because all of that is coming from that thinking um side of things yes um so thinking about the name and how the name is the image and then that's like the fantasy and blah blah blah. so I'll never do anything if I just stay in that little circle um but now I just have to make work. <laughs> Is it working? Making work? Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 God damn it. I knocked my microphone real bad. Your, 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 your short cut answer <laughs> threw me off and I, I made a lot of noise at 49 minutes. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I might write that down. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I want to ask sort of, I want to go down one more tangent because it's something I marked down that I'm, that I'm really interested in because um, sort of beyond the, the curation of this, which really is more just curating which artists go in which round, I, I, I've tried to stay really hands-off in terms of the showcasing. Um, case in point, I didn't know you were going to be in the bathroom until you just told me <laughs> on this podcast, um, which is good. I prefer that. Um, and I, and after just sort of curating softcore, which was sort of one of probably the first time I've been quite involved as a curator. Um, you talk a bit about curation and about like sort of trying to create as little separation between curator and artist as possible. 
And I find that a really compelling idea because I kind of think curation is a giant made up name for interior design. Um, <laughs> but I, I want, I, I would like you to talk a little bit about curation and how it fits in with your practice and your ethos around that. Yeah, I think, um, I think I used to have a stronger opinion on this when I wrote that, but, um, I do think that the artist, I don't want to have like a super strong opinion about it, but I have said that all artists should be installation artists in that I just, it kind of baffles me that people can make an object and then not care how it goes into the space um, because that changes everything. Like the light um, and the spatial relationships in the room, the color of the walls, like that all is so relevant to how the work is read that, I don't know how an artist can't think about that <laughs> like, and just make an object and that kind of stands alone. Um, and then that goes into curatorship, I think, because that's what the curator does, looking at all the elements of space, how they talk to each other. And then so I think that's why the artist and the curator aren't, shouldn't be really separate because they should all have that kind of installation spatial relationships, lighting, like all of that in their heads. Um, and then the curatorship is the work. Yeah. And so it's like a collaboration. Um, but then I, when I kind of heard what curators were back, you know, years ago, I was kind of like, but how can you let someone else finish your work for you? <laughs> like, like I wouldn't just make um objects and then hand them over and have someone set them up and like or like decide where they go in a room because that changes everything so that's finishing the work and then I don't know so that's kind of where I'm coming from in that on that topic yeah no I think I think I totally agree I think I see the 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 curator maybe more so in an ideal world like obviously like for instance Goma I can't imagine every artist you know, flies out to Goma with their work to sort of have mm. a say. And, you know, part of that is just logistical, especially for like, I can't imagine like every triennial artist shows up for installation. No. Um, and, you know, that that's part of the limitation. But I, I see sort of maybe the ideal curator role, like in an ideal world, the curator would be a, a facilitator of conversation between yeah. all the artists about you know, a conversation about how the artists relate with each other and therefore their work as an extension of that relation and having the curator as sort of like a facilitator in the room so that, you know, when artists hit dead ends or impasses or if, you know, they don't mind one way or the other about a decision, which is often not the case with artists, but um, uh, then the the curator can step in as sort of, yeah, just a facilitator, I don't know. Yeah, and the curator finds different elements that they can see would talk well together or two people that would talk well together and decide to put them in that room so that they can speak. Yes. Like objects or people. um, And so I don't think that, like I really think that the curator role is really important if it's done right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
but that artists should have a curator's eye. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and also um, the curator should maybe like like what you were saying earlier about Arts Week, like the curator should empower the artist. Yeah. Um, not not dictate. No, no. I think. But work alongside them, yeah. 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 And both should have equal say. I don't know. The artist. (laughs) I think so. I think so. I think the the curator just provides a perspective as someone who hasn't, like you were saying, like when you spend so much time with a work that you're burned out and you can't think about it or you're like numb to it, the curator kind of comes in as an extra set of eyes. Um, the same way a producer does of a film or of a theater show, like it's, it's the same sort of thing. Um, yeah. So your residency, you're doing sort of big showcase thing, which I really like, like I like the hands-off curation, um, which is sort of why I wanted to speak on that there. But, um, after the residency, what's next? Are you just going to finish, finish your degree and Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Ooh. When I was in Winnipeg, I joked about, um, but I seriously considered it in my head. Um, oh, I might just drop out of a art school and become a painter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know, I see painting as freedom. Okay. Kind what of. do you mean by that? Um, it's so intuitive, I think, to paint and not worry about things and because it's so much of the hands-on making and then not thinking too much about everything because that just freaks you out and I was back then when I was having these thoughts was writing a lot about painting and then in doing that was writing about the fact that my writing was putting painting like in a box and kind of making it not free anymore right like, <laughs> right like like a meta textual element yeah, yeah yeah um and that the painter was free, but then all the theorists come in and make it not free anymore. <laughs> but extend on the experience of um, of the audience's experience of um, looking at painting, which can be interesting. But uh, I, when I came back, I was supposed to graduate, but I was up to that final project when you have to kind of know where your life's at a bit. And you felt like you didn't have that knowledge? <laughs> I was kind of like, I just want to play and experiment still. So I can't do this right now. Because you have to buckle in and choose something. Like this is what my practice is. Or at least, you know, a final project that you can stick to for an extended period of time. Is it a year or a semester? Um. It was a year-long project, but I was away for the first half. Yeah. So everyone had a kind of project started and I was kind of like, I have stuff. I have a lot of, because I'd been working with the dinners and the meals and I had foundations to keep working on a project, but I didn't want to stick to it. And all of the thinking was driving me into the ground like thinking about the work instead of just doing it um so I just couldn't do it at that point but now I have an extra year which is nice yeah so that's why you've been spending time at sort of like the art school because you're still a student there and yeah um now I'm just taking a sculpture class 
which is all just purely technical and no theory. <laughs> um, and just being given access to, you know, 3D printers and the foundry and stuff just to make, just to play, just to see what happens when you put two things together and that's really valuable and really fun. Phenomenal. Yeah. So it's so the rest of 2017 and possibly a fair bit of 2018 is about play for you then. And yeah. Experience, experience and emergent art forms. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you very much. Um, can people find you, as we wrap up, can people find you online anywhere? Uh, yeah, on Instagram. At? At altform. At altform on Instagram. Yeah. Great. Um, hey, thanks so much for, for the good conversation. No worries. The House Conspiracy podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>